People are no happier today than they were 50 years ago, despite incomes more than doubling in that period. I'm Ryan Becker, Director of Advisor Engagement with CI's Advisor Consulting Practice Management Team, and welcome to Consulting Insights. Today on the podcast, we are going to dive into a topic that is relevant to everyone. It is our relationship with money in terms of how we think, how we feel, and how we spend our hard-earned cash, and its impact on our overall well-being. And joining me on the podcast today, I have Bruno DePace, Director of Campaigns from our Practice Management Team. Welcome back, Bruno. Thanks, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be back here uh, with you uh, doing this again. I really enjoyed our last session together. Me too. Me too. It's, it's getting fun. Um, and I, I thought I'd start our conversation off today with some insight from the book, Happiness Lessons from a New Science uh, by Richard Laird. And that's what I mentioned off the top. And it's, it's that component that people are no happier today than they were 50 years ago, despite incomes more than doubling in that period. Now, some people have more money. However, that money isn't resulting in more happiness. And I think it's a remarkable thought that creates a a real challenge for financial advisors, but also a big opportunity. So today, we're going to discuss some ideas to capitalize on that opportunity. Now, I thought a good place for us to start our conversation would be with what is money? And I think it's a straightforward question. At least I thought so. And that was until my daughter asked me the same question and and she's three years old. So why don't you take a shot at it to start with, Bruno? How would you define money? Uh, Well, it's it's a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. And so there are a lot of different definitions for money. The technical definition says that it's a medium of exchange and a measure of value. Uh, an easy way to, to think about it is that it's just a tool that can be used to buy things. And if we, if we compare it to, say, the, the old barter system, you know, um, where if you wanted to buy a cow from someone and they wanted you to give them, let's say, two pigs in exchange for it, but you only had a donkey, well, you were out of luck. So, so money really is just a tool that makes our lives uh, easier. It's only when we try to attach other significance to money and it starts to rule our lives that we can run into problems. Mm. Well, I, I don't have a cow. <laughs> I don't have a donkey. I don't have pigs. I've got none of that. So I'm going to have to be relying on, on money. But I, I really love what you said there, which is talking about money as a tool. Um, and I, I wish I had a phone Bruno option when my daughter asked me the same question, because I think that's a, a really good definition. Well, Ryan, you know you can call me anytime, but it will cost you. So, I sorry, I couldn't resi- I couldn't resist that. Now, kidding aside, let me try to answer your question. Okay. Most people develop an emotional attachment to money. And it doesn't matter if they think that money is good or if they think that money is bad. Just having an emotional attachment to money can lead a person to making bad choices. And those bad choices can limit their ability to achieve full life satisfaction. So let me give you an example. Some people believe having a lot of money is a bad thing. And they got this idea from the Bible, the Bible of all places. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with that quote that says that money is the root of all evil. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, what people don't realize is that this is not the actual quote. (laughs) The actual quote is, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
which is very different than the quote that most people know. The real quote is saying that it is the love for money or the emotional attachment to money that can cause big problems. Mm. But regardless, if you really believe money is the root of all evil, it can create an internal struggle and negatively impact your life. Now, here's an example. Let's say you want to live a more comfortable lifestyle than the one that you have now. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But if you know that it means you're going to need a lot more money, and if the thought of wanting to have a lot more money makes you feel guilty in any way, you could end up consciously or subconsciously sabotaging your goals. And this is the type of unhealthy money mindset that can prevent people from living their best life. So, so understanding that there can be, and, and, and I guess in a lot of cases there is, that emotional attachment to money, and, and whether that's good or bad, is a real important step to establishing a, betty, a better money relationship. And, and maybe that viewer definition that you provided about money as a tool can help reframe some of that emotional attachment to it. And, and that emotional attachment to money really impacts us all. And that's, I think that's for sure. And, and that's one side of this story. And I believe we need to get a better understanding to help us move forward. So what do we mean when we say financial well-being, Bruno? Yeah, the term financial well-being is an all-encompassing term. And it represents the ideal state for a person to be able to live their best life. Hmm. You see, it's not enough to just be financially secure in the sense that you have enough money to pay for all your expenses, both now and in the future. You also have to feel financially secure because if you're always worried that you don't have enough money or that you're not going to have enough money in the future, you're not going to be able to live your best life. Financial well-being is a state where someone is financially secure and feels financially secure and is able to make good choices to enjoy their life. All three parts need to be satisfied to achieve financial well-being. And that makes sense to me. And, and it's like money is an equilibrium or, or it's like a money equilibrium or, or ledger, I guess. And there needs to be that balance, which I think sets the table nicely for one of the things that you've been working on recently, which is a presentation about the role that money plays on our well-being. Um, and just, it is a investor use presentation. It is called your mind and your money train your brain to achieve optimal financial well-being. Um, and I, I have to say that as seeing the presentation, it's phenomenal, Bruno. So kudos to you in, in this build, but, um, I'm curious what prompted you to tackle this topic? Well, thanks for the plug, Ryan. Appreciate it. <laughs> but here's what happened. An advisor called me to talk to me about a challenge he was having with some of his older clients who didn't want to spend any money on themselves to really enjoy their life. And he said that these clients had more than enough money and he even did an analysis for them with uh, some worst case scenario projections to try and convince them. But yeah, yeah. despite all of his efforts, they were just either not willing or not able to change their behavior. I was curious and I asked them, well, why is this so important to you? And what he said was, he thinks of his clients as family and he just wants them to be happy. And it really bothers him when they worry about money when in fact they don't have to. So this particular advisor's ultimate goal is not just to 
help his clients be financially secure. He wants them to feel financially secure. And more importantly, he wants to see that in action by getting them to spend some money on themselves. So that's what, that got me thinking, well, maybe I can do some research and find some strategies to help him and his clients. And then that led to developing a whole presentation, which we can now offer to all advisors who want to help their clients in this very personal way. That's it's interesting. And I, and I would say no doubt this issue presents itself as a challenge for not just the advisor that you're talking to, but for other advisors and their clients. And you, you can do all this great work on the money and investments and savings and whatever that may be. And, and not to mention the other planning work that you do, but the mind side hasn't balanced out. So where do these money behaviors that, that we're talking about come from? And, and then how can you balance their money and their mind? That's a great question, Ryan. Our money attitudes and behaviors are deeply rooted into our psyche. And we are, have been ingrained you know, from, from our childhood hmm. with these ideas. Research shows that by age seven, our money habits are already fully formed. Oh, well. Now, having said that, you know, there are other influences like our personality and all of our other life experiences uh, in our adult life. Now, I know for me, I definitely have some money habits that I picked up from my parents when I was growing up. Hmm. Yeah, my parents belong to the silent generation and the silent generation lived through world wars. They lived through a depression. So money for them is something that you save, not something that you spend especially if you don't have to. Absolutely. And those attitudes have definitely rubbed off on me. You know, <laughs> some people might say that I'm um, a bit of a tightwad. You know, <laughs> I, I just like to think of it as being frugal. <laughs> now, I, I believe another reason that the mind side of the equation is not balanced with the ledger side, as you so eloquently put it, is because advisors are mostly focused on the ledger side. But in fairness... Advisors are not really trained to deal with these kinds of emotional issues. However, if, if an advisor wants to help their clients develop a healthier money mindset, the starting point for them would be to spend more time with each of their clients, trying to understand their unique money mindset and where it comes from. That, that would be a great first step, I think, that you outlined there. If I, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing is that uh, inherited attitudes, plus like our own individual personality traits, um, plus our life experiences really form or equal that those origins of our, our money behavior, um, which in, in fact could be a really good questioning sequence or playbook for an advisor with that first step in mind. Um, maybe it's through an onboarding meeting or even to delve deeper with an existing client within their book of business. But make sure that you're asking questions that look to uncover a, a better understanding of these origins of your client's money behavior. And, and we tend to focus on understanding those items that, that, that can be searched online or read on account statements, but that type of questioning to really understand the origins of your client's unique money behavior could be an extremely impactful component to balancing that money, uh, that mind in the money ledger. 
I like that. <laughs> I, I, I think I might trademark that phrase in the approach. The, the mind, good, yeah, you like sure. that one? The, the mind and the money ledger. <laughs> well, it, in terms of these origin stories, Bruno, are, are there any profiles? Like, are there any profiles of money behavior when it comes to origin stories from, from us? Yes. There, there's a lot of uh, different labels uh, in circulation because this is not a new topic. They, yeah. There's been a lot of research that's been done on this topic over the years, but the most common labels are ones I know everyone is familiar with, and they are a spender and a saver. Mm -hmm. uh, let me try to define those for you. A spender is someone who habitually spends excessively or lavishly, while a saver is someone who regularly saves a good portion of their income, and they only buy the necessities. The reality is that most people are actually somewhere in between a spender and a saver. For example, a spender saver who spends money, but occasionally they also save. And then there's a saver spender who saves money regularly, but occasionally spends some money on non-necessities. Hmm. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to peg myself and say, I firmly fall into the spender saver category. Um, although it would be interesting to get some of my family members thoughts on this as, as well. No doubt. No doubt. I, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say that they might think that I'm a little bit more of a spender than I do, but, um, in, in terms of some research that I saw around this recently, approximately 58% of Canadians identify as savers. Well, 37% identify as spenders. But as you said, the reality is that most of us are going to fall somewhere in between that saver and, and spender. And so either as that, that saver spender or spender saver. However, one of the things that I really found um, interesting when it came to this research was that there is an increasing number of individuals that are identifying as spenders. And when you look at age groups, this is even more prevalent with each passing generation. Yeah, that's a fact. Each passing generation tends to spend more than the previous. And there's some new research that suggests our environment plays a bigger role in terms of influencing our money behavior, even more than our, our upbringing does. Mm. And this new insight really does make sense when you consider that today we live in a consumer-driven culture where social status, values, and all of our activities revolve around spending. In other words, a large part of what we do, what we value, and how we're defined is based on the consumption of stuff. You know, I don't know how much stuff is collecting in our basement. Like, it's just, <laughs> and then we do clear out, and then there's more stuff. Back again, yeah. <laughs> so I would have to agree with this new research that says the environment is having a more profound impact on our money mindset. Hmm. That's so then growing up as well in different time periods, this could also be a, a driver of these money beliefs too. Definitely. I mean, this becomes really obvious when you compare boomers to millennials. Both of these generations like to spend money, but millennials tend to overspend far more than their boomer parents tend to overspend. Hmm. And one of the main reasons is our consumer-driven culture. Hmm. Today, Millennials are being strongly influenced by the power of social media and social media influencers. They're also being influenced by the constant barrage of targeted digital marketing ads when they're online. Mm -hmm. They're coming up everywhere and they, and they follow you around. 
Um, and then if you add on the one-click purchase revolution, mm-hmm. then it's no wonder that millennials tend to overspend. Uh, overspend. You know, it's just hard to resist, especially mm-hmm. if you want to fit in, you know, to the culture that you belong to. Mm-hmm. It's even hard for boomers to resist all of this influence. But unlike millennials, they're not as comfortable carrying debt to make their purchases. So if a millennial wants to buy something now and they don't have the money, then they'll just take on more debt. And they're comfortable with that as long as they feel that they can meet the the payment schedule. Unfortunately, this type of money behavior is not very conducive to saving for the future. It's interesting the way that you outline that. And and then I I think through my own experiences growing up, um, growing up in Canada, and, and, and I'm translating this on, onto the sports side, but, you know, I grew up playing soccer as a kid and it was cheap. So, you know, check mark from my parents, good sport to put me into initially. Um, and, you know, good dip your toe in team sport, but certainly it wasn't the hot thing to play at the time. And uh, in my circle of friends and in my circle of, of, of people growing up, it was baseball, really, which is weird to say as somebody growing up in Canada, but that probably had a lot to do with the Jays winning back-to-back world series in 92 and 93. So, you know, my circle of friends didn't want to be Roberto Baggio or or Zidane. They, they wanted to be Roberto Alomar and and have number 12 on their back or, you know, Joe Carter and wear number 29. So I, I pivot that back to finance and think if, you were similarly a kid growing up in the nineties at the same time that those Jays are winning back-to-back world series. You're also seeing things like a jobless recovery, economic expansion, you know, rates moving North of 5%, uh, really the, the beginning of that dot-com bubble. And not to mention in incorporating all of your own unique individual experiences. And, and that fabric really creates the foundation of experiences that are going to shape our views to an extent in, in the future. Exactly. And, and we are really all just products of our environment. Mm-hmm. And incidentally, uh, I, I, you know, I can appreciate your Roberto Baggio and Zidane <laughs> uh, reference because I, I, I love soccer. I grew up playing soccer, but soccer was a cheap sport. And that was one of the reasons that, you know, that I played that over, let's say, hockey. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting how that, cha- how that shapes us moving forward. And, and I, I Hopefully this will help advisors potentially increase their awareness of their clients' biases. Uh, but what else can advisors do to help clients develop a healthier relationship with money? Uh, well, I would say that, you know, as a starting point, uh, advisors should try to help each of their clients uncover their individual money behaviors. Okay. And then they can also work with them to try and raise their awareness of the impact that an unhealthy money habit might have on their life. The idea here is that if clients become more aware of their own bad money behaviors, then they may be able to self-regulate to some extent. Mm-hmm. I actually developed the workbook to go along with the presentation I built uh, and it's available to advisors to give to their clients. And the workbook is something that clients can work on their own to learn more about their their money behavior and how it might be affecting them. And it also provides some strategies that clients can use to manage their their bad money habits so that they can make better money choices. Mm. 
think that workbook is going to be a hot commodity. That's the way that I'm going to peg it, at least. Um, especially as too. An, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially as an opportunity, too, for advisors to, to further demonstrate their value with clients. One of the things that we've talked about that I, I do want to circle back to is that that money in mind or mind and money ledger um, that I've now trademarked. But um, at, <laughs> at the core, you know, financial services is that analytical industry. And, you know, it's what the number of you put away for retirement. What's that, what's that dollar amount? Or what's your return on investment? Or how much can you save a month or throughout the course of a year? But as you mentioned, one of the reasons that prompted you into this presentation having all the money in the world might not equal the feeling of financial well-being. So the exercise that we are working through as financial professionals is not only can I co-create a plan to manage your money, but also how we balance out the other side of the ledger. And that's that, that mindset. And, and that's the true perceived value of their financial well-being. Yeah, right. I, I think this the concept that you're presenting here in terms of balancing both sides of the ledger is a really interesting one um, and, a, and a great way for advisors to look at the situation uh, so they can put more focus on it. Okay, so let's expand on that. And, and let me just throw a quick thought then. So as, as an advisor, every time you present something on the money side of the ledger as an agenda item, mm-hmm. um, and this could be like an investment update as an example, it, be mindful to then pair that with a more mind-related agenda item. So maybe it's uh, incorporating an estate planner or prepared inventories and documenting pieces there, or or maybe even having just a a good behavioral type conversation. And and maybe this would then be a way of being conscious of balancing out that money and mind ledger. Now, you could write it down, you could get more detailed in the exercise, but just having a rough idea of balance in your meetings, in your newsletters, in your blogs, in your your client interactions could be a tweak that really has positive impacts on your client's financial well-being. Yeah, uh, I think what we're both saying here, Ryan, is that advisors should consider working with clients to help them develop the mindset of the equation not only to make them feel more financially secure, but also to help them actually make better life choices. Mm-hmm. Now, it's this last part that, that's really lacking for clients. And I think it represents a great opportunity for advisors to, to make a real uh, difference in clients' lives. But in fairness, advisors do help clients to feel more financially secure. It's true. But it's mostly a byproduct of the work that they do on the ledger side. I saw a piece of research while I was building my presentation, and it showed that 76% of investors who use a financial advisor report having a positive sense of well-being. Mm. And again, this I believe this is a this is a byproduct of you know of the focus that they they put on the ledger side. Now imagine if advisors actually focused on doing things that would directly influence the mind side of the equation. No doubt they would have an even greater positive impact on their clients' lives. And in turn, that would make advisors more indispensable and more invaluable to their clients. I think that's a great point. I I love the fact that you bring up um, that working with advisor not only creates value on the mind side or on the on the money side of the ledger, but also on the mind side. And that additional focus on that mind side could even take that to the next level. you know what, Bruno, I could keep going on this. I could keep going for, for a yeah, long time talking about this. It's, it's a fun conversation. Yeah. yeah. 
And why don't we wrap up here? Um, but I want to give you an opportunity just in case you have any parting thoughts um, to, to provide those for us. Yeah, I'd like to share something that one of the most successful advisors I know once told me. He said, I consider myself a part-time investment advisor and a full-time psychologist. <laughs> and, you know, he wasn't being facetious. He really <laughs> believed that working with clients to help them develop a healthier money mindset was some of the most important work that he did for his clients. And it was also a way uh, for him to turn more of his clients into advocates who could help him to grow his business. Hmm. So he dedicated himself to learning as much as he could about investor psychology, and he became really good at it to the point where a lot of his clients would ask him to speak to their kids about money. Wow. That's the other interesting thing about the you know interesting thing about this story is that he recognized this need to help clients develop a healthier money mindset 25 years ago. <laughs> so he was well ahead of his time. And today, since we're living in a consumer-driven world, I believe the need to help clients improve their money behavior is now even greater than ever. I completely agree with you. It is a challenge but a huge opportunity for advisors um, to really, like, like we said throughout the course of this conversation, to balance that money and, and mind ledger. Um, Bruno, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Thank you uh, for having me. Uh, and, uh, and I really enjoyed it as well. Well, thanks for those of you that listened. Uh, if you'd like what you heard, please subscribe on our channel, Consulting Insights. It's where you can find CI Advisor Consulting podcasts such as this one, and you'll hear topics that highlight practice management, tax, estate, financial planning, and more. So please subscribe on the platform of choice. Uh, thanks everyone for listening, and please remember to tune in to the next episode. Where we'll be back discussing thoughts and insights that you can work into your business. This podcast is provided as a general source of information and should not be considered personal, legal, accounting, tax, or investment advice, or construed as an endorsement or recommendation of any entity or security discussed. Investors should seek the advice of professionals prior to implementing any changes to their investment.